Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. All right. I have a real easy question for you. Have you ever been angry? Raise your hand if you've ever been angry. Even if you're at home right now, raise your hand. Okay, so for those saints who didn't just raise your hand, God bless you. Um, Have you ever been angry, number one? Number two, have you been angry already today? No, don't answer that one out loud, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, I was miserable coming to church today, Uh, you know, with the kids and this. Oh, speaking of the kids, next week we're opening up kids' classrooms uh, um, at the early service. So those of you, maybe, you know, I've, I've taught, yeah, praise God. It's time to get rolling on this. I'm thrilled to hear that. So and some of your parents are like, yes, please. And so some of you, I've, I know some of you, we've talked, you're like, hey, as soon as some classrooms get open, we'll be able to come back. So uh, that's going to happen next week. So parents, watch, you know, your emails this week, and you'll hear all about that and, and how that's going to work out. <clears throat> okay, so here's the next question. How do you feel about a God who gets angry? How do you feel about the idea that God would actually express anger and even express anger in a really passionate way? That's what we want to talk about today. In our series that we're in, The Week That Changed the World, we're looking at a couple of key events that, were, that happened in the last week of Jesus' life, from the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday that we looked at last week, up to, up to you know, the, the crucifixion, and then on to Resurrection Sunday. This is truly the week that transformed, that changed the world. And the events we're looking at, they matter to you. They matter to me. They affect our lives to this day. Now, last week, we saw Jesus ride uh, into Jerusalem, and he came into Jerusalem on what you and I call Palm Sunday. He was finally ready on that day to declare, hey, I'm the king, I'm the savior of Israel. And he entered the city not as a conquering king on a war horse, as, you know, any Roman or Roman soldier who was there would have expected. Rather, what did Jesus ride into in humility? What did he ride on? Right, he came in on a donkey, and that ultimately was letting the people know he came in humility as a suffering servant. And as Jesus left Bethany and he made the, the three-mile trip to Jerusalem, and, and he came around the corner, and he on the top of the Mount of Olives, he could see Jerusalem for the first time in that moment. Scripture tells us that he wept uncontrollably. Why? Because he knew his very own people in just a few days would reject him. They would crucify him. But he also knew what was going to come as a result of their rejection of him, that that the people of God would be judged. And he saw the destruction that was coming to that city and to the people and what would happen over the next hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it absolutely crushed him. He wept uncontrollably. But the next day, those tears turned into, you know, fire in his eyes, so to speak. He blazed his eyes, and rather than tears, his eyes blazed with anger. Monday reveals a side of Jesus that we oftentimes don't want to think about. Or maybe we want to ignore, maybe for some of us, we might even want to pretend doesn't exist. See, everybody loves Jesus, who, the Jesus, you know, who teaches us, love your neighbor, Everybody loves the Jesus who, who picks up little children into their arms. Everybody loves the Jesus who says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Right? We all love no condemnation Jesus. 
But Monday presents an entirely different portrait of this king, of this savior, of this Messiah. And that's what we want to look at today. And we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles or go on your phone to the YouVersion Bible app, we're going to look at the whole passage. We're going to read the whole thing right here real quick together. Mark chapter 11, verse 11, it says this. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So he went back from where he just came from. The next day, as he was leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. This is interesting that the story is included. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not season for figs. Then he said to that tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And some, you know, you read that, you're like, what did that tree do to you, Jesus? May you never eat fruit again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Jesus literally stopped commerce in the temple. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers or a den of thieves. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. Now there's two important events that are included in this story that we want to see today. And the first one is Jesus, you know, cursing this barren fig tree. And which, uh, in verse 20 goes on to tell us it will wither and actually die. And then after, right after that, he goes up to the Jewish temple and he, he forcibly drives out the merchants and the money changers and he kicks them out of the outer court of the temple. Jesus was ticked off because of what he was seeing on the temple grounds, on these hallowed grounds. Now, for clarity, anger is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says this, in your anger, do not what? Do not sin. Another translation says it this way. If you become angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin. As we wonder what's going on in this scene, I think Christian psychologist Dr. David Seaman says something that's very interesting in, in light of this. He said this. He said, the person who cannot feel anger at evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm for good. If you cannot hate wrong, it's very questionable whether you really love righteousness. So there's essentially two types of anger. There's, you know, what we might call human anger. And James chapter 1, verse 20 addresses this, and it says, when you have human anger, it does not bring about, it does not achieve the righteousness of God. But then you have another type of anger, a, a godly type of anger, so to speak, or anger from God or from Jesus. And it's an anger which is an expression of God's righteousness towards that which is not righteous, towards that which is wrong, towards that which is evil, towards that which is sinful, towards that which is counter to the values of God. 
You see, anger that boils over into vile words and vengeful attacks on others. Of course, we'd say that's human anger. Anger that's directed at attacking a person, going after a person. Rather than going after or attacking or dealing with a problem, we'd say, okay, that, that's human anger. Anger that seeks revenge. Anger that, that, that has an unforgiving spirit. Anger that causes you or I to lose self-control. Anger that causes us to lose patience. All of that is the fruit of human sinful anger. What happens when your anger isn't expressed properly and when sin is mixed into it? Have you figured this out? I know I have. It can result in division, right? Disunity, discord in relationships, destroying relationships, and by the way, even destroying churches. And what I've discovered firsthand, I suspect some of you have as well, because I've heard some of your stories. Anger not expressed properly leads to a whole lot of regrets. Have you figured that out? Anger not expressed properly leads to destroyed relationships and and, and it damages one's impact or influence on others. It, It leads to unwise spoken words that you wish you could take back. And relationships get get destroyed and sometimes completely severed. But anger can also be an expression of God's righteousness. You see, God gets angry about sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that, of course, God is love. But you know what else the Bible says? The Bible says God has the capacity to hate. Now, when I say that out loud, doesn't that sound weird? God, you have the capacity to hate? Yeah, Proverbs chapter 6 tells us this. Verses 16 through 19, it says this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. And and later on, you can go read those verses of the things that God hates. God hates evil. And the only way for you or I to ever truly understand God, to ever truly understand the incredible love that God has for us, is to understand his anger over unrighteousness. I want you to think about that for a moment. The good news of the gospel of, the, of Jesus, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus, that he would come and die so that you and I can live. The good news of the gospel, you know why it's good news? You know why it's such good news? Because the bad news is so awful. The bad news is so bad. See, the Bible tells us that God has to punish our sin. And the wages of sin, what we earn deserve is eternal death, eternal separation from God because of our evil. God has, because he is righteous, he has to punish our sin. But praise be to God, the Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He saved us. He died for our sins. He brought us, the scriptures say, brought us near to God. Now, Jesus always has a plan. And in fact, he's always 10 steps ahead of everybody as we look through scriptures. He's 10 steps ahead of you and I. And and both this cursing of the fig tree and then also the cleansing of the temple, you realize those are actually, in in many respects, acted out parables of, of a message Jesus was trying to communicate and get across. By the way, the Old Testament prophets did this all the time. 
They would use object lessons to make an important point. For example, I think of Jeremiah who paraded through the streets with this yoke across his back to let the people know of the destruction that was coming to them and warn them of God's judgment. Ezekiel, he packed all his bags and he carried them through town to let the people know that exile was coming for the people. These two events that we're looking at today give us a very clear picture of what it is that makes Jesus angry. To kind of use words, we, you know, that ticks him off, so to speak. And while Passion Week, or Holy Week as we also call it, focuses on the incredible love that God has for us, Jesus is also saying, don't forget my holiness. Don't forget the way in which you live. Don't forget your purposes and what I've called you to. This is so important to Jesus. This is why it's included in this story, or it's in scriptures. And so we want to look, what makes Jesus angry? What makes God angry? And conversely, then, what does God bless? What gets God uh, thrilled and excited, and what does God want to do in our life? So let's look. What is it that makes Jesus angry from these stories? Well, the first thing we discover is that Jesus gets angry at a fruitless life. See, it makes Jesus mad when our actions and our behaviors don't reflect that internal commitment we've made to Christ. There's a lot of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us. We've said, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus gets angry when the way we live our life doesn't reflect that commitment we've made in our heart, when there's no fruit. See, that was the, the lesson of the fig tree. The fig tree had no fruit. In a sense, in the, in the story, it's almost as if the fig tree was deceptive. See, Jesus is teaching that those of us who would profess faith in God but don't live in such a way that reflects that faith, faith, man, we end up having the same fate as that fig tree. We end up standing under a curse, if you will, before God. I think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said this, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, O oh Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does, say the word does, only the one who does the will of the Father. What is it that makes Jesus mad? It's people who don't walk the walk. It's people who say the right words, who go through the motion of religion, but they fail to produce the fruit of being an obedient disciple or Jesus follower. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus said, By their fruit, say fruit, by your fruit, he said, you will recognize them. It's the fruit of your life that tells others who you are and whose you are. And so let me ask you, do you bear the fruit of being a Jesus follower? In your life right now, is there evidence that you are a Jesus follower are you a fig tree that has fruit or just leaves? Is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? For example, is there humility or is there arrogance in your life? Is there joy and peace in adversity or do you crumble and fall and blame God and, and others for your circumstances? Is there evident, is it evident in your life that you're a person who forgives others? 
Or do people know you, man? Don't get on their wrong side. If you mess up with them, you're gone. You're out of the picture, right? They're, they're going to write you off. Because, man, they hold a grudge. Do you carry a grudge? Or are you patient? Are you a servant who truly gives your life away, expresses kindness, and, and is a giver of your life, your time, your talent, your treasures? Or are you one who only takes who only takes. Do people see you, as I just mentioned, as someone who's patient, who's kind, who's gentle, respectful? See, Jesus rewards those who have a fruitful life. But man, Jesus cursed that tree because there was no fruit. There was no evidence of, of what that tree was meant to be. Jesus gets angry at that. Well, secondly, Jesus gets angry at a prayerless life. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus walked through the temple that Sunday night, Mark chapter 11. As his righteous anger begins to boil because he sees what's going on, he decides, you know what? I I'm going to wait till Monday. I'm going to come back when all the people are here, all the merchants are here, and it's crowded because I'm 10 steps ahead of everybody and I have a point I need to make. Now, the Jewish temple was a magnificent structure. It was this, what we call the Temple Mount, and it was 37 acres. It was huge, and it was, it was all man-made, built by man. 37 acres, or 28 football fields. And yes, on the internet, you can go and find a converter from acres to football fields. Okay, so that's how I actually know that number. I've got a crazy, you can find anything. Now, when Jesus saw what was happening at the temple, he was furious. Why? Let me help you understand the context of this. See, the Jewish people were expected by, to, God had commanded them to offer sacrifices and, and, their, and their gifts, their financial gifts at the temple. But the priests and the merchants had all come together and, and gotten in on this racket that exploited the people who came to offer their prayers and their praises and their sacrifices. So how do they do it? How do the priests and merchants do it? Well, for starters, the only money that was allowed to be used and offered to God was the temple coin. And so you had, this, had to give this half shekel temple tax. And the only money you could use to buy animals for sacrifices were the temple coins. The money changers set up exorbitant exchange rates converting Roman money, because this is, you know, three times a year, Jews from all over the world would come to the temple. And so they would come and they had to convert their Roman money or whatever money it was. One historian said that the, the, the money changers charged 25% to convert the money. Some of you have been in those situations in your own life. You've had to go, you've financially, you've been in those situations. You've had to go to those places to have your check cashed. And the rates that they charge are incredible. Next, before an animal could be sacrificed, it had to pass inspection by the priest. And so the priests who were getting a kickback from the local merchant, merchants, they would simply reject any animal that was brought that, that, that wasn't from you know, the local licensed merchants that they were getting kickbacks from. And of course, they were charging ridiculously high prices to get those animals as well. Ten times of what it should have cost. The whole system 
the entire sacrificial system, the entire house of God, a prayer, praise, worship, everything was filled with corruption, with the priests and the local merchants who took advantage of people, took advantage of the people's desire to, to worship God and to offer praises and sacrifices to God. And so Jesus was angry because this temple of the Lord, the house of God, had become a place of corruption and greed and profit and selfishness. And Jesus, in quoting Isaiah chapter 56 and Jeremiah verse 7, what did he say? He said, is it not written, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The house of God, the temple of God, it was meant to be a place of prayer. Meant to be a place of worship. Meant to be a place where you would come and seek God, to draw close to God. And look what it had become. And so Jesus was absolutely livid. This is interesting because it's easy for the wheels of religion to turn in our life. It's easy for us to sing the songs. It's easy for us maybe to go through rituals, if you will, in certain denominations or religions with meticulous precision. We can mouth the right words, and yet the reality is our hearts can still be far from God. Do you have a personal connection with Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you come here during your, during your week that you seek personally to draw near to God, to have a life where you are praying toward, to God, you are worshiping God, you are in his word, you are asking God, God, what is your will for my life? God, how do you want me to live? Do you have that personal connection? Or is it more just the appearance of religion? But internally, are you far from God? I heard this quote this week that grabbed my attention. It said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. The devil fears nothing from prayerless Bible studies. He fears nothing from prayerless work, prayerless religion. The devil laughs. Listen, genuine Jesus followers are men and women of deep faith, deep prayer, and a deep, close connection to God. Do you have that? Is your life dictated and guided by God? That you say, I want to draw near to him. That Lord hates it when we pervert our worship, when we pervert our time with him. He gets angry at a prayerless life, at a worshipless life. But man, God loves to bless true worshipers who Jesus said would, would worship in spirit and in truth. What about you? Do you draw near to God? Do you seek that personal connection with Jesus? That's the life he blesses. Well, one more. Jesus gets angry at a purposeless life. Now, these illicit activities were taking place at the temple, this 37 acres, and they were taking specifically in the court of the Gentiles. That was an area of the temple, it was the largest area of the temple, and it was an area where those who were non-Jews could come and seek God and worship God. And the evil practices that were happening in the court of the Gentiles that was happening, this was a terrible testimony to those who were seeking God. And so Jesus was angry 
Because the message from his people, from his leaders, from the people who lived there, the message that they were sending was the wrong message to those who are seeking God. Jesus, again, in quoting Isaiah 56, 7, that God intended the temple of the Lord to be a house of prayer for all nations. Say the word all. All nations, that word nations, pantata ethne, it's all ethnic groups. It's all different groups of people, not just countries the way we view it today. Every single individual people group on, on planet earth. That's what the temple of God was meant for. And Jesus, is, Jesus was angry because God's people had forgot why they were a chosen people. From the very beginning, all the way going back to Abraham, the Lord made it clear. He had chose Abraham. He had chose him who would then become his people. He chose his people to be a channel of blessings to all nations. One of my favorite verses on this is Isaiah chapter 46. In verse 6, it says, God says this, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant and to restore the, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. God's like, you know what? It's too easy just to save you. He goes on and says, I will also make you a light. Why? For the who? What does it say? For the? For the Gentiles. For those who are not Jewish. I will all, it's too small a thing to just save you. I also want to use you to make you a light for the Gentiles. Why? So that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Are you catching God's heart? God says it's too small a thing for me to save everybody in this room. It's too small a thing for me just to save those of you who are online and watching right now at home or wherever you are. God says that's too easy. That's too small. I have bigger plans. I want to use you to be a blessing to others. God's people were meant to be a light for the rest of the world so salvation could spread to all people. But they were going through the motions of religious practices without understanding or living out their purposes. Listen, God has blessed you. Do you believe that? God has blessed you. But he's blessed you not just for yourself. He's blessed you to be a blessing to others. That's a phrase. Maybe you could make part of your life. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing. Don't forget your purpose. Don't forget your purpose. So my question is, are you blessing others? Are you blessing others? Are you allowing the blessing that has come to your life in however many forms it looks like? Are you living out your purposes? Our mission, our, our, our purpose here at LifePoint is to point people to the abundant life that is found only in Jesus Christ. That's, that's our mission. It's that simple. We want everybody to know what it's like to experience life, abundant life, life to the fullest in Jesus Christ, to have a dynamic, thriving relationship with Jesus. That's God's call in your life, to pass that along to others, to introduce, to help people be introduced to Jesus. We use this phrase from time to time here, and we've been mentioning it because we're coming up to Easter, and it's the phrase simply, who's your one? Who's your one? It's just a way for you to think about who is it that's in my life that God wants to use me to reach? There's a lot of people in the world, but you know what I can think about? Going back to our, our, our series back in January, make it stupidly small. Remember that? Make it stupidly small. Okay, God, who's my one? Who's the one that, that you're going to use me to reach? 
And so God wants us to think outside these walls and let our light shine for Jesus outside these walls, to share our life, to share our testimony, to share our story of what Jesus has done in our life, to go, to reach them. And so again, we go back to uh, God blesses a life of prayer. Who are you praying for daily? Who's your one? that you're lifting up in prayer? Who are you spending time with? Who's your one that doesn't know Jesus, that you're purposeful and intentional with sharing your life? Who are you reaching for Christ? Who are you leading to Christ? God saved you, and he wants to use you to save others. He wants you to be the conduit. Don't forget your purpose outside these walls, but also don't forget your purpose inside these walls. Think about, this was the temple This was the grounds where, this was church, if you will. And literally, Gentiles, non-Jews, came to them. They didn't have to go to them. The the, the non-Jews came to them right there at church. And I think about that. Every single week here at LifePoint, we have visitors. Every week. And there's some of those visitors. um, I mean, they're here for a reason, right? They're seeking God. Some of them are seeking God to know God for the very first time. Some of them are maybe new in town looking for a new church or a new church family. Every single week we have that here. And so I encourage you, don't forget your purpose outside these walls, but don't forget your purpose inside these walls as well. You're here to worship God, and part of your worship is sharing the love of Christ with those around you. So I want to encourage you, especially as this COVID season, as we're coming out of it, man, be purposeful more than ever. We've kind of locked ourselves up in in being isolated and wearing the mask, and I know we have to do all that, but but you know what? It's time to show our openness to others, to offer friendliness to others, a smiling face, to be a person that will be used by God so you can bless others. Man, I want to encourage you, those of you who are in this room, make it your goal every single week, every single week. God, who do you want to use me how do you want to use me, God, to bless somebody else? Walk up to someone and say, hey, saw you sitting here. I'm Chris. Saw you just wanted to come say hi. Have a conversation. Don't come in. Come out and just leave. People have come here. They're here. They're already here. The Gentiles from all over the world, they had arrived. Now, there's some of you right now. You're online. You're watching this. And, and some of you, uh, because of health reasons or you're just not comfortable yet with a, coming and attending here in person, totally get it, totally understand that, not a problem at all. And I know we're praying for that time when you can be here. We seriously miss you. But there's some who are online who right now, you're enjoying the comfort of your home in your pajamas. You're enjoying it just a little too much right? I mean, you're like, man, church is cool and all, but I can just do it here at home now. But here's the problem with that. And this is for those who are here too. We have forgot our purpose. Our our purpose in worshiping God isn't just to watch something online. That's not it. Part of our purpose is to be used by God to bless others. And so I want to encourage you, and I even want to challenge you who are online, who you could be here. It's not a health issue at this point. It's not a, you're uncomfortable being around people. It's literally just like, man, I'm out of the habit. It's kind of cool doing this at home. You know, I just stroll out of bed. I want to encourage you. We need you. God needs you. You don't realize that you could be having a conversation this next week with somebody that God wants to use you to bless somebody else. Blessed to be a blessing. Everybody say, blessed to be a blessing. Say it.
Amen. You're blessed to be a blessing. Don't lose sight of your purpose. So, if Jesus were to show up today, what would he overturn in our church? If Jesus were to show up today, what would he overturn in our lives, in your life? Jesus gets angry at a life where there's no fruit, where we say one thing, but we live a different way. Jesus gets angry at those who go through the motions of religion, but their hearts are far from God. There is no prayer. There is no worship. There is no personal connection to God. And Jesus gets angry when we don't live out our purpose, that God has blessed us so that we can go and reach and bless others. But don't miss it. The opposite is true. Man, Jesus wants to bless you. And he wants to bless you in an incredible way. And when you live a fruitful life and you have that connection to him and you're praying, you're worshiping, you're seeking God, it's a real relationship. And you're living out God's purposes for your life. Man, Jesus will bless you, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Jesus cleaned house that day at the temple. I think Jesus wants to clean house in us right now as well. Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now knowing that that you're a God who loves us. And part of that love is when we're not living in the righteousness of God that we even sang about. God, when we're living for ourselves, when we're not seeking you and our purposes, we're not seeking a personal connection to you, God, you get upset about that. So God, right now, each of us come before you and we lay our hearts before you bare. So I want you to take a moment, each and every person. Do you have a conversation with God? If Jesus were to clean house right now with you, what's he angry about? He's not gonna condemn you. He wants you to talk to him about it, get right with him about it. And then he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you and he'll purify you. Would you tell him about it now? hear each and every one of these prayers. We love you, Jesus. And we don't want that just to be words. We don't want it just to be something we think about once a week when we come to church. God, we want it to just ooze out of every second of our life. So God, thank you for giving us a gut check today. And thank you for your your grace and your mercy. We confess our sins. And God, thank you that you will purify us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So once again, God, we submit our hearts and our lives to you. We worship you. We praise you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.